Greetings to all of you. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church, those of us uh, joining us online as well as those uh, watching us from our campuses. We are in a sermon series from the Gospel of Matthew called The Kingdom of Heaven is Like. Jesus used day-to-day stories to illustrate spiritual truths that gives us insights into his kingdom. The intention was to arouse curiosity And the ones who are spiritually seeking will find these stories to be illuminating. Uh, Today we're going to look at another well-known kingdom parable that's directed at believers, those who claim to be followers of Christ. Let me say this at the outset. When we have been Christians for several years, here's a problem we are particularly vulnerable to. We've read the Bible numerous times, familiar with well-known passages. We've heard hundreds of sermons, and we have been at church forever. Do you know what all of that does? We are no longer shocked at some of the sayings of Jesus. When you read some of those penetrating words, your jaws don't drop anymore. They don't have the kind of effect it once had on you when you heard them for the very first time. It no longer startles us, disturbs us. We don't take the time to reflect on them. Now, when was the last time you looked at Jesus' words and you said, I just can't believe Jesus said this? What is supposed to be cutting-edge, razor-sharp spiritual truths become common, all too familiar. And I tell you, that is a dangerous place to be in. Jesus issues serious warnings all through the Gospels to those who claim to be his followers. Some of the parables of Jesus were spoken to believers and it is meant to wake us up from our slumber. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus concluded his speech with these famous words. A wise person builds his house on solid rock. When the rains come and there's a flood, the wind blew against that house, but the house that was built on firm foundation can withstand it. But the foolish person, on the other hand, built the house on sand. When the rains came and there was a flood and the wind blew against that house, it fell with a great crash. And using that analogy, Jesus says, the person who hears his teachings and applies them to their life is like this wise person. But the ones who listen to Jesus' teachings and fail to appropriate to their lives is like the foolish person. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus uses another parable that illustrates the kingdom of heaven at its consummation. This must be one of the most shocking parables of Jesus. And we need to pay careful attention to what Jesus is saying here. Once again, Jesus distinguishes between the wise and the foolish. The wise are those who are ready and prepared for Jesus' second coming. And the foolish ones are the ones who get distracted and don't pay attention to Jesus' return. 
through this parable, Jesus calls all who are part of his kingdom to be ready, vigilant, alert, because we do not know when Jesus will return. And we need to be ready so we are not taken by surprise. I'm going to ask us to stand right now wherever you're watching this as we honor the reading of God's word from Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 13. At the time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trim their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you even for the warnings in your word. And we believe it is there for a reason. And we pray as we look at this scripture passage for today that, Lord, you will produce in us a spirit of conviction that we will not just be guilty or be piled with feelings of condemnation. Instead, Lord, there will be a sense of genuine repentance and turning back to you. And we know that we cannot accomplish that in our own strength. We need you. So come and speak to us in a way that you alone can. We pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. All through history, from the very first century until now, Christians have been doing something that we have been explicitly asked not to do. And that is to set a date for Christ's second coming, to predict the day and time when he will return. Now, folks who attempted this have cut a sorry figure, but others have not learned from their mistakes. Any time there is a major natural disaster or a large-scale terrorist attack, war between countries, or a global pandemic like we are in today, a buzzword in the Christian circle is, are we living in the end times? Is Jesus coming back soon? And some people try to match world events with prophecies in the Bible to create a frenzy. 
Someone writes a book and it sells millions of copies. Someone puts a video on social media and it gets millions of hits. Even now, popular YouTube videos are doing rounds that talk about the coronavirus is part of end-time prophecy. And it is going to usher the second coming. Now, if you ask me, we ought to live like Jesus is coming any moment. That is the Christian view of end times. The end time should always be at the forefront of our minds, not just when something dramatic takes place in our world. Now, we have a problem when Jesus' second coming fluctuates according to the circumstances or events surrounding us. Now, if we think somehow COVID has assured the end times, what happens if we find a vaccine? If the pandemic is over, then talk about the end times will go back to the back burner until the next major sensational event takes place. That is simply not the way God wants us to live our lives. As I read the Bible and pay attention to Jesus' words, this is what scares me. Jesus is not going to return at a time when everyone is anticipating it or talking about it or waiting for it. He's going to come at an unanticipated time when his return is not a hot topic, when all things seem to be normal, when life is as usual. That is when Jesus will return like a thief in the night. It'll happen so quickly, so unexpectedly. And the emphasis in the Bible when it comes to end times is unanimously this. Be ready at all times. Be watchful. Be alert. Don't slack off because you don't know when Jesus will return. While I do believe that we live, quote-unquote, in the end times, we are not necessarily to be obsessed with end-time events. Eschatological timelines and charts are secondary to our faith. What is primary is the attitude that we all need to have as Christ's followers. Live under the imminency of His return as though it could happen any moment. That, to me, is the purpose of this parable here in Matthew chapter 25. Now, if you look at the previous chapter, Matthew 24, it has a lot more to say about end times, and we will spend extended time in that chapter when we get there. But today, I want us to deepen our understanding of this parable and apply it to our lives. Now, look at how Jesus begins the story. Matthew 25, verse 1. And as all the kingdom parables do, it begins with the same phrase. At the time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Jesus is talking about his kingdom at the time of his second coming. And this story illustrates what will happen at the time. The term virgins here refer to young 
unmarried women, most probably in their early teens. Uh, they are the bridesmaids who are the friends of the bride. So in this sermon, I'm not going to refer to them any longer as virgins, but just refer to them as bridesmaids or young women. Here in North America, we are only familiar with wedding ceremonies that are probably less than an hour, and then there is an evening reception to go with it. But where I come from in India, wedding celebrations can last for days. So I can identify with the Jewish wedding celebration that lasted for seven days. Uh, this parable is envisioning a wedding procession. It began at the bride's place and will end at the groom's house. The groom will first arrive at the bride's parents' house and will escort her to his house along with the wedding party. Now, once they reach his house, there will be a grand celebration that will last for many days, and that is when the wedding banquet will take, will take place. Now, it was uh, the job of the bridesmaids to receive the groom and welcome him as he comes to meet the bride. You know, the lamps here in the parable are probably referring to torches, cloth rags that were wrapped around a stick. And they needed to douse the cloth in oil every now and then in order to keep them burning. It meant that they needed a large jar of oil to re-soak the cloth and keep them lit. Now, because there were no street lights at night, uh, torches were critical for a wedding procession, especially if it's taking place late in the evening. Uh, among the ten bridesmaids, five of them are presented as wise. They think ahead and plan just in case they are held up, there's a delay, they ensure that they have a good supply of oil that will last them for a long time. The other five are presented as foolish. They're not prepared for a delay. They're not giving thought to any sort of contingencies. They don't have an adequate supply of oil because they're only living in the present. They're being careless. Now, a modern-day equivalent would be like you're a friend of the bride and the bridegroom, and they've requested you to take their wedding photos. So let's say you are the photographer in the wedding, and you arrive at the wedding without your camera. What excuse can you offer to the couple getting married? Because now they don't have anyone to take their wedding photos. In the same way, the young ladies in our parable did not plan well for this important occasion that they have been personally invited to. So this is like insult to the people who extended you this invitation. A lot of cultural factors are being played out here in this parable, which Jesus' original audience would have easily understood. But I must admit, it is a little Difficult for us to comprehend all the cultural elements that are wrapped in this story. Now look at verse 5. It says, The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all become drowsy and fell asleep. 
Now, we don't know why the bridegroom was delayed. The parable doesn't give the reason. But he's presented as uh, not showing up on time. You know, in our world, it's usually the other way around. In weddings, the bride is late. She's getting ready with all the elaborate makeup, touch-up, get-up. Sometimes they can get late. In fact, I once uh, officiated a wedding where the bride was late for over 45 minutes. And I tell you, it caused some level of panic. But here in our parable, the bridegroom is late for a very long time. And those who were waiting the bridal party dozed off. The delay of the bridegroom is an analogy to talk about the delay of Jesus' second coming. Jesus is the bridegroom who is coming back for his bride, the church. That is us. And Jesus is alluding here, he will come, but there will be a delay in his coming. The first century Christians believed that Jesus was going to return in their time. Some of them even quit their jobs because they thought, what's the point in working so hard when Jesus could just come any moment? Now, the Apostle Paul had to write a letter to the Thessalonians just to correct that attitude. And now, if that was the attitude of the first century Christians, imagine 2,000 years have gone by and still Jesus has not returned. Clearly, there's a delay. The question is, what is our response going to be in light of this delay? It is so easy to allow our sense of expectation to dampen. It is convenient to reason. He has not come all these generations, so what are the odds of him coming in our time? That is exactly what we shouldn't be doing, and that's the point of this parable. Jesus can return any moment. Get that straight. Some people say, well, there have to be all these conditions that have to be fulfilled for Jesus to return. And my response is, yes, but it is God's job to determine if those conditions have been fulfilled, not ours. And things can change pretty quickly through a sudden turnaround of events. So all that to say, there is nothing that is stopping Jesus from coming back other than God's good purpose. So he could come any moment when that purpose is accomplished. The question is, do we believe that? Unfortunately, we have made end times into a theoretical complex teaching. It's all about explaining charts and diagrams and interpreting prophecies. But I don't see the end times as a theoretical doctrine. It is very practical and it ought to deeply influence how we live our life and especially how we make our choices. Going back to the parable, the ten young women, while they were waiting for the bridegroom, slept off. 
The parable is not portraying that in negative light. The problem was not that they slept. The wise and the foolish both fall asleep. It's not held against them. The problem was one group of young women were not ready for the bridegroom's arrival. Now look at verse 6. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. So this is like the final trumpet call that the Bible talks about when Jesus returns. Someone is sounding the alarm and saying, Wake up! The time has come! The bridegroom has arrived! And what time is it? It's midnight when they least expect it. It happened just like Jesus said, with no warning signs, no heads up. All of a sudden, there's a great commotion. Now look at the response of the virgins, verses 7 to 9 of our text. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. So the foolish ones realized that they had a big problem. While they were waiting for so long, the fire in their lamps had died and they had no extra oil. They had a lamp or a torch, but a lamp without oil is no good. It's like a flashlight with dead batteries. Now the young women panic, and they ask others if they could borrow from them. But it was simply too late. There was nothing that they could do at that final moment. Now keep in mind, Jesus in this parable is speaking to those of us who claim to be his followers. There's a delay in his return. None of us know when he will arrive. It will be at God's appointed time. Now, our responsibility is to be ready at all times. Be prepared for the long haul because we don't know when this event is going to take place. And let's not get discouraged when there is a delay. But here's the problem. Like the foolish young women, some Christians are unprepared. They have lamps, but no oil. They have a form of external spirituality. They do lip service to the Christian beliefs. On the outside, they may look like Christians. They act like Christians. They attend church. They carry a Bible. They project to all the world that they are Christ followers. But deep inside, they're empty, spiritually depleted. There is no love for God. It has simply grown cold. There's no passion for Jesus. It has turned lukewarm. 
There is no vibrant faith. It has been long lost. There is no anticipation for Jesus' return. The flame that once burned so brightly has become so dim and in many cases has been extinguished. And when Jesus suddenly appears according to his promise, and you only have an external form of religion that is empty and dry, don't ever think that religion is going to save you. One of the biggest dangers in the Christian life is identifying ourselves as Christians based on a decision that we made years ago. That decision is significant. But are you choosing Jesus daily? Are you in touch with his spirit? Are you overflowing with his love? Are you living your life by the truth of his word? If not, you don't have oil in your lamp. You have no spiritual life in you. You're not connected to the source. And if Jesus were to return at this very moment, you will be in trouble. Now that is why I said at the beginning, this is a shocking parable. It makes all of us who are Christians ask the question, who do I resemble? The wise who are ready and prepared for the Lord's return are the foolish ones who are caught off guard. Look at our text in verses 10 to 12. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. So they missed out on that moment when the bridegroom was coming. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, Open the door for us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. So many times, God convicts us about something and we delay our obedience. We say, I know I need to do something about it, but I'll wait. I know my life is messed up and I need to clean things up, but I'll do that in a few years. I have a long life ahead of me. Hear me. There are some things in life you don't delay or put off because you know that it can get too late. Hear me. Tomorrow is not a guarantee for any of us. So don't procrastinate. When the Spirit of God convicts you, respond in obedience now. Oh, by the time the young women in the parable found some oil, the bridegroom had arrived, the procession had left, and the wedding feast had started. The foolish women frantically knock at the door of the bridegroom's house. They want to be part of the wedding celebration and the great feast, but the door was slammed shut. And they stand outside the door and they cry out loudly, Lord, Lord, please open the door. And they're banging at the door furiously. And they 
hear words at that moment when the bridegroom comes out, words that are tragic. I don't know you. You don't belong here. And when you say to someone, I don't know you, you are disassociating yourself from the person. And that is exactly what Jesus is doing to some professed Christians. Jesus said something very similar, almost identical in the Sermon on the Mount. Once again, shocking, jaw-dropping words. Look at Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on the day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You know, I want to, first of all, reassure you, this is not referring to genuine believers. This is talking about those who look like believers on the outside, but their heart was still far from God. You may have claimed, I know Jesus, and I go to church. I read the Bible. I am a religious person. The question is not, do you know Jesus, but does Jesus know you? Is your heart fully open to him? Because the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who have brought their lives under the kingship of Jesus. Now we come to the main message of this parable. This is the point Jesus is trying to drive home in this story. Look at verse 13. Therefore, Keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. This is a message for those who claim to be followers of Christ. If you are not prepared, if you are not living your life wholeheartedly for God and your spiritual life is separate from Him, then you may be excluded from the kingdom when Jesus returns. The day of the Lord will come unexpectedly. Are you ready? Or have you eliminated the idea of Jesus' return from your lifestyle? You know it in your head, but it is not translated in the way you're living your life. What does it even mean to be alert and ready for his return? You know, it doesn't mean that we stop doing everything and become passive, lay aside all our plans and simply wait by the window looking up to the sky. It means we are faithful in our life in following Jesus even when there is a delay. There will be contingencies, things that will not go that the way you expected, but remain committed to Jesus even when the going gets hard. 
It means we are eager and expectant like a bride excited for her wedding day and not doubt God's promises. It means we are not putting our hope in the temporary things of this world, but our hope is wholeheartedly placed on Jesus and the promise of his return. Church, we are in the final season of world history. All things are moving in one direction, the culmination of the grand visible arrival of the Lord Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this spectacular event can happen any time. So we ought to live our lives as Christians, eagerly awaiting that great moment when Jesus will return for his bride. You know, over three weeks ago, I had a bit of a scare. I attended an event that resulted in a possible COVID outbreak. I received word that several people who were at that event had tested positive for the coronavirus. And I did what was the right thing to do. I decided to isolate and get tested. I booked the appointment for the drive-through test like many of you have done. And they told me, if I tested positive, I'll get a phone call from the Alberta Health Services. And if I tested negative, I'll just get a text message. And the results may take between three to five days. Now, that was a little lesson for me on how we ought to wait with expectation. That night after the test, I came back home and did not put my cell phone down. I made sure that it was very close to me. Every now and then, I kept looking at my phone to see if there was a message. I lost count of how many times I would have checked my phone. I set the volume on high so I didn't miss any phone calls or messages. Every time the phone rang, my heart skipped a beat. Every time there was a text message, I was just eagerly looking at my phone. And after about two days of waiting, I finally heard back. I got the text message that I wanted so badly. The test results came negative, and it was a great sigh of relief. Praise the Lord. And as I was preparing this sermon, it struck, struck me, wow, how eager I was as I was waiting for the results to come. How it preoccupied my mind to the point it was so dominant in my thought. Isn't that how we all ought to Wait for Jesus' return. Eager, expectant, waiting in hope for the culmination of our faith, the crowning moment when Jesus will arrive as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and his kingdom will be established here on earth forever. Think about it. What an incredible hope we have. And what a day to look forward to. And sadly, there are some of us who are listening to me right now. You have lost the sense of wonder of the gospel. 
You no longer have the joy of salvation that you once had. Your faith is not as vibrant as it used to be. When was the last time you contemplated on your personal salvation and you were overwhelmed with emotions? When was the last time you prayed, Maranatha, even so, come, Lord Jesus, come? If this was a long time ago, then something is not right. What you desperately need is a renewed sense of wonder for the gospel. The promise of Jesus' return needs to reignite your heart. As I bring this service to a close, I'm going to ask all of you to stand wherever you are. This is an opportunity for you to personally respond to what God is speaking to you. And I know there are some of you who are listening to me. You feel like there is no oil in your lamp. You're dry on the inside. The passion and love for Jesus that you once had has become ice cold. And this is an opportunity the Lord is giving you to open your heart to Him and allow the Holy Spirit to once again light your heart with passion and restore the joy of salvation. So I'm going to ask you to just stretch forth your hand in a posture of receptivity and ask Jesus for a touch from above, a fresh anointing and empowerment of his spirit to come and fill your heart to restore what you have lost, to help you to be ready if he were to come tonight. Just close your eyes and continue to open your palms as a way of receiving from God what you desperately need from Him. And after a moment of silence, I will pray for us. Lord, I pray on behalf of those who are feeling empty and dry on the inside. Lord, you promise that you will pour water upon him who is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. So would you meet them in this time by giving them a fresh new empowerment of your spirit that what they have lost will be restored. Their joy will be restored. Their faith will be restored. Their passion will be restored. Their commitment to Jesus to walk in the path of discipleship will be restored. Lord, help us to be a bride who is prepared and ready for your grand appearing. Would you do a deep work in us that we will not be ashamed on the day you reveal yourself to the whole world. We ask this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.